John Hextall likes the kids, everybody. Everyone likes the kids. Everyone speaks highly of the kids. No one ever lets the kids play. Seems to be some kind of disconnect there. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. It comes up invariably, especially in times of trouble, and especially within that when the Penguins get eliminated in the first round of playoffs, which is now a rite of spring. Someone will ask the general manager, someone will ask the head coach about the future, about you know, at some point or other getting on with getting younger and they'll come back with something about hope for this guy or hope for that guy. This actually gets worse as the summer goes along, I should warn you. By, oh, I'd say July or August of 2021, half of the Penguins prospect pool was being given a feasible chance of making the roster out of training camp by Hextall and others. I'm not sure why they do this other than to maybe create the illusion that A, they have those kinds of prospects, B, they really believe that much in the prospects that they have even if they don't have them, or C, to create the illusion of a training camp that'll have competition. I've been a buyer on C for a few years now, because Jim Rutherford did it as well. He would cite every young guy in tow and say, oh yeah, they've got a real chance to make our club this fall. No, they didn't. And no, these guys really don't. I can make an argument for a couple of them, that they should, but I would never, ever predict that one of them will. This is what Hextall actually had to say a couple days ago at the Penguins' season-ending press conference with him and reporters up in Cranberry. I mean, you guys saw Pustin in for one game. He's a guy that that certainly comes to mind. Um, Bjorkvist, Holander, uh, Poulin, um, certainly probably the last 55 games or so took his game to another level. Um, P.O. Joseph, uh, you know, Bjorkvist. So we've got a number of guys down there and it's always, it's always comforting if you leave a couple holes or you have a number of options versus one and you're counting on this one kid. And then if he's not ready, it's like, okay, where do we go now? You always bring in tryouts and things like that, but it's comforting to us that we have a few kids that are kind of on the verge of, of, uh, coming up and and being ready to play at this level. It's not forcing them into this level because you might as well leave them down there. So we feel comfortable that certainly a couple of them uh, out of that group could could start the season in Pittsburgh. So Hextall names, if you're paying close attention there, Valtteri Pustinen, Kasper Bjorkvist, Philip Hollander, P.O. Joseph, and Sam Poulin. Doesn't even mention Nathan Legere, by the way, which tells you a lot about how far Nathan's fallen. And within that, this is my favorite part. He mentions parenthetically to the reporters in the room that you saw Pustinen for that one game. 
as if like that was seeing him. Well, okay. If you want to go off the one game, Pustinen looked pretty good. He looked like he could make a difference for this hockey team. He showed skill. He showed vision. He went to the net. He went to the net reflexively, like instinctively, not like I need to impress the coaches. He went there as if there was a magnet pulling him, like he belonged there. Now, I'm not going to suggest that Pustinen is the next wunderkind and he's going to make this huge difference in the Penguins roster if he were to make the team this fall. But I am suggesting, and I did suggest at the time, repeatedly and passionately, and now I'm going to reiterate it, these players needed, past tense, to have gotten chances over the course of this past season. And they didn't get them. And as a result, the lineup was left weaker entering the playoffs than it needed to be. You didn't need to be holding your breath for a veteran to break out of some one goal in 25 games slump if you had real competition. You didn't need to see the team crumbling at the center position when Sidney Crosby went down. Not that any of these people could come close to replacing Sid. But when you move Jeff Carter into the number two center slot and Carter's career has been seemingly falling off a cliff right in front of our eyes, and you bring up, you know, Radim Zahornin, he's barely been up here. You didn't even bother teaching him how to kill penalties, even though he's a six foot seven forward. And don't get me started on that one. You bring up Drew O'Connor ice cold. And you justify a lot of this by saying, well, their heads were right up against the salary cap for the final couple of months, so they were limited in how many moves they could have made. Then don't operate that way. Operate as if your young players actually have a chance. Make it a priority to not have your cap that tight. So ridiculously tight, amateurishly tight, that you can't even make a roster move unless somebody drops dead in front of you? Come on. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals for those in need. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Who's going to make the team out of this group? Who do you think? Pustinen? I don't. Bjorkvist, I mean, he's at least got a chance because he's a defensive forward more so than he is offensive. Hollander for the same reason. Joseph, I mean, you would think Joseph has to make the team at some point, if only so that the Penguins can go about the business of clearing out the ridiculous amount of their salary cap space that's invested in their defense core, which, by the way, is number one in the NHL, meaning the money, definitely not the performance, as we saw from all those blown leads in the Rangers series. And then there's Poulin. Poulin, he's become more of what the Penguins had hoped he'd be. 
he's become more of an impact type forward up front. He's gone to the net. He's produced. He's shown some moxie. But what still has to be seen, and the reason that I am so richly skeptical that he'll get a fair shot in camp either, is that he's got to show that same level of competence on the defensive side. You've got to be a 200-foot player to play for Sullivan, especially and doubly so in the bottom six. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the coach taking that stance, but there's most definitely something wrong with the coach never allowing for the opportunity, primarily because he values regular season outcomes over the maturation of these players, over the maturation of a next wave of Penguins. You just don't know until you try. When we come back, just one question. David, who asks, did Jake Gensel or Brian Rust just set the ceiling for Ricard Raquel's contract offer from the Penguins? Um, no. <laughs> no. Meaning he shouldn't come anywhere near what they just got. Now, maybe he will because he's still right there around the 30-year-old mark where you can still say that you're going to get five, six years out of him. And maybe if you decide to compare Raquel favorably to Russ, forget Jake. Jake is, I mean, Jake signed a deal very early in his career to commit to term. And he's stuck with, relatively speaking, $6 million a year for the foreseeable future. Jake is underpaid relative to his performance. There's nobody that would dispute that. But Rust getting, you know, $5 million and change over the next six years is not something that Raquel's going to be looking for. For anybody who doesn't know, Raquel was at around $2.5 million uh, this past season off a longer-term deal of his own that he'd signed in Anaheim. If he goes to the open market, and I'd be kind of surprised if he didn't, I think you could see teams offering quite a bit, but I don't think you're going to see anything that's in the rust range. Uh, Raquel, plain and simple, isn't the scorer or the established first line guy that rust is. He might be. You and I watching both players over the past couple of months, uh, underscoring here that rust was pretty good in that time too, might be able to draw fair comparisons between them, including Raquel's capability of playing on the first line with how well he meshed with Sid in their brief time together. But I don't see Raquel breaking the bank to that extreme. Uh, if anything, I, I could see Raquel getting more of a, let's say, a Connor Sherry type deal where you get you know X number of years for uh, $4 million or something in that range. And if you're the Penguins, you can just reach a point where you say, listen, you know, anything that's above this level, we're not really going to get into. Uh, we wish you well. Thanks for everything. And that's that. I don't see Raquel as a must keep. 
but I would definitely do it if I could. Because if he isn't there, then the same motivation that you had in going out to Anaheim and getting him, it's still in place. Meaning, Kasperi Kapanen then gets locked into your top six. And nobody wants that situation. Nobody does. Or at least nobody should. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.